electricity, a big idea that's inspired countless new ones. From powering the light bulb to virtually powering our entire lives. 30 years ago, State Street launched the Spider S&P 500 ETF, SPY. A big idea that inspired the world to invest differently. And still does. What can you do with SPY? Before investing, consider the funds, investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit SSGA.com for a prospectus containing this and other information. Read it carefully before investing. SPY is subject to risks similar to those of stocks. All ETFs are subject to risk, including possible loss of principal. Alps Distributors, Inc. Distributor. Bring in show music, please. Hi, I'm CNBC producer Katie Kramer. Today on Squawk Pod, Elon Musk suing OpenAI. I'm of the view that this case is all about discovery. There's no money. They're not asking for money. It's a company he helped found, and now the world's richest man says one-time protege Sam Altman has lost sight of the mission. Is it really that he's disturbed that it's going to be a for-profit enterprise, or is it because he'd rather have more to do with the for-profit? The explosive filing, and what does it all mean? Coming up on the podcast. What advantage does he get out of that other than maybe nuking a competitor? And the U.S. facing a migrant crisis. More than 160,000 have arrived in our largest city in just the last two years. New York's mayor, Eric Adams. The most important thing I believe we could do during this crisis is allow people to work. Plus, Apple's virtual reality headset is the bloom off the rose. The WSJ's Joanna Stern looking at a 30-day return policy. I really enjoyed using the Vision Pro at first, and I still enjoy using it. I am just reaching for it far less. It's Friday, March 1st. Squawk Pod begins right now. Stand Becky by in three, two, one. Cue it, please. Good morning, everybody, and welcome to Squawk Box right here on CNBC. We are live from the NASDAQ market site in Times Square. I'm Becky Quick, along with Joe Kernan and Andrew Ross Sorkin. Uh, Perhaps the story of the morning just hit. Uh, Elon Musk filing suit against OpenAI and CEO Sam Altman, alleging they have breached the company's founding agreement by putting profit ahead of benefiting humanity. Musk saying OpenAI's close relationship with Microsoft has undermined its original mission. Musk helped fund OpenAI in its early days. He has been outspoken about the dangers of AI and has been outspoken about his frustration uh, with OpenAI and its governance, with Sam Altman, uh, and with so much that has happened. He discussed this with me back in November. Uh, he's been quite public about it. Taking it, uh, you know, filing a suit is a whole other situation. Of course, yesterday we learned the SEC was investigating uh, OpenAI. I think that was a relatively perfunctory investigation or inquiry. This to me is a completely different animal uh, insofar as Elon Musk is one of the most well-heeled people. He can take, he can bring a lawsuit for a very long time. He can go up against an OpenAI and a Microsoft um, and you can get into discovery. I'm actually surprised he didn't do this sooner because I, I, I think I'm it gets very, very the, interesting, just, very, very quickly. I just want to know, I mean, those are noble words, why he's doing, but he's no, he's very good at making profits. Maybe they're subsidized, but he's a very wealthy guy who's done very well in the capitalist system. I'm wondering, is it really that he's disturbed that it's going to be a for-profit enterprise? Or is it because he'd rather have oh, more yeah, to do like, with he the for-profit? did he put in like a billion dollars or something? Yeah. So he's, he wants it to be, I know he wants I, it to be open. I know he wants yeah. it to be yeah. open, but yeah. does he really want it not to be a big I, money maker? I will say... You think he's altruistic I in think, this? I think in this, in this, that's for you to say that in this particular case, I can, I, I feel that's very comfortable amazing. saying that this is not because he wants Grok or X no, or I, some I, other version I, of his I, AI I to beat out 
open AI. He, he I, and and by the way, there's, there'll be that when nobody view else of it. was. There'll be that view of it. No. Right. But I but I do think that this comes from a place of, of genuine frustration. You know, look, I interviewed both of these guys, Sam and Elon, together when they first were beginning OpenAI. Yeah. Their whole effort it was a completely different sort of frame of mind around what this was supposed to be. And I think that this is, you know, people say, is Elon hurt or feels upset? This is one of those things that I actually think he hurts about. Well, there is, in my view, I don't know if yeah. it's in your view, there's a precedent for him that he has shown he doesn't always do things to make a profit. And maybe people and thought... this is one of them. I'm talking about Twitter. Maybe oh. people thought he was going <laughs> to do it with Twitter. Maybe people thought that that was a business investment. But many of us think that he was saving the whole notion of presenting both sides in a, in a, in a public forum and save free speech and lost his ass. I mean, how much money has he, has he lost? I don't think he cares. So I will, I will say if he did it then, he, maybe he's doing it now. Look, originally, I, I, I should But I don't think you said. granted he him that with the Twitter thing, did you? to a billion dollars. But then he backed off, and I think yeah. he only ended up putting in about $50 million. I think that's the case. He, well, with Twitter, he was he unhappy. In. He was unhappy the, the, with Do you think he did it with Twitter? Do you Let think that was altruistic? Let me make two distinctions. Okay. Okay. For me? For you, with <laughs> so you. you can, can you bring me along slowly? No, okay, I'm go just ahead. Gonna, I'm okay. just, just going to suggest that when he bought Twitter, mm -hmm. he bought it with his money, and he bought it with investors' money. Right. And he went to those investors, and he and told them be that this was a business. Right. Right. Okay. You need to give me money because we're valuing So you X. can't bring other people into okay. his altruistic the, things. I, I'm just suggesting to you, if that's altruistic, tell Mark Andreessen and all the people <laughs> that have lost their money and call right. me. Okay. That so that that I think just well, prima facie explains. Yes, that. excellent point. That it wasn't on, his on, uh, on OpenAI and this money, lawsuit. Yeah. This is his. This is okay. his suit. And in many ways, I could even put this in a comparable uh, sort of category as to what Peter Thiel did with Gawker, if you remember, which was he had a great frustration. <laughs> right. No, and it goes, but it goes to the idea of somebody who's really upset uh, on a, a sort of personal level, that's yeah. like, and is going to take it all the way to the very, very end. Right. And I with think that this. With the case of Gawker, it got shut down. It did get shut down. I don't know what the <laughs> ultimate ramification of this is, but this is one of the last individuals in the world who could probably take on OpenAI and Microsoft, because by the way, Microsoft yeah. will ultimately have a big stake in <laughs> the outcome of this as well. And he's probably the only person who can actually do it. That so was we'll another, see what happens. That was another great benefit to society in Peter Thiel's case, shutting <laughs> down that piece of crap, right? That, that was good for mankind. There are many people who would argue that. Other people who would argue the entertainment factor is okay. gone. Back in November, I spoke to Elon Musk at the DealBook conference about OpenAI and whether the startup should be a for-profit corporation. Listen to what he had to say. OpenAI was actually started, and it was meant to be open source. Uh, I named it uh, OpenAI uh, after open source. Um, it is, in fact, closed source. Super close. It should be, it should be named, renamed Super Closed Source for Maximum Profit AI. Um, <laughs> so, because this is what it actually is. It's gone from an open source uh, foundation, a 501c3, to suddenly it's like a $90 billion for-profit corporation with closed source. So, I don't know how you go from here to there, but that seems like a, I don't know. How you get, I don't know, if, is this legal? <laughs> As we were discussing, there is sort of a, remember when Peter Thiel went after Gawker, this is like a personal issue for him. Uh, and, and it's personal, there's animus, and I think it could get 
pretty serious. Uh, we're also going to be awaiting, and I think we'll hear about it in the next month or two, all of the governance issues that happened, if you remember, last fall. We'll understand a little bit more about that. I'm sure that Elon Musk thinks whatever we're going to hear is going to be completely whitewashed. Uh, and one of the reasons he's bringing the suit is because he can actually then capture discovery and, and all of that. So we'll, we'll, we'll see what happens. But I remember interviewing both of these gentlemen together years ago when they were fast friends. And this was something that they uh, deeply uh, had a passion about. For people who don't understand, Elon Musk co-founded it with him, put yep. in a, a big chunk of his own money. It was his money. Yeah. At the time, he pledged a billion dollars. I think it fell far short of yeah. that. So I, I, I was just looking, and I don't know if this is correct, but it, it's been sourced at around $50 million mm -hmm. that he actually yeah, put no, in. It was I, all, I only believe it was about $50 million, which also maybe gets at the potential damages. I don't know uh, in terms of what potentially we talked about what, what the outcome could be. Uh -huh. uh, could a judge say, well, look, the damage is $50 million. We'll, we'll get you, you want your money back? You can get your money back. Right. But um, I, I imagine as part of this, for Elon Musk, it's not even about the $50 million. It's, it's much more about, can he change the outcome of this? Joining us right now is CNBC technology correspondent Steve Kovac. We've been going through the lawsuit. Wild. It's, it is wild to see. It also is wild because we were talking about what the outcome of this case could be. It's, it's unique in that Elon Musk is one of the few people who actually has standing in some ways to bring a case like this. Right. But then you have to think about what the quote unquote damages are, if you will, if you're a judge. He is seeking to open up AI uh, or open up open AI so that it's uh, it is effectively truly an open source situation. And to I, stop Microsoft from using it. And to stop Microsoft from using probably. it. The question is whether a judge could, would stop that or a judge would say, we'll give you back your $50 million initially because those are the damages to right. you personally. Um, but it also means that we could get real discovery in the case um, about all of the things that have transpired Including and, the how, board, yeah. and how OpenAI has operated over and these several Microsoft years. And what Microsoft knows. That's part right. of what they're pushing for, too. Right. He says that only in the lawsuit that only OpenAI knows what's in this chat GPT-4. And they suspect Microsoft does, too. And this, and this is a, a thing that we've been talking about in AI, open source versus closed source. You have that European company, Mistral, right. who just ra also just raised money from Microsoft, by right. the way. They're open source. Facebook is open right. source. You have Google and uh, OpenAI as you know, closed source. You can't tell. One thing that really stuck out to me is part of the case against OpenAI here, the argument that Musk is laying out is they've achieved what's called artificial general intelligence. AGI is, is what it's, the acronym is for. They're alleging ChatGPT4 has already achieved that. If you talk to OpenAI right now, if you talk to the folks at Microsoft right now, they say, no way, we're nowhere close right. to AGI. So this whole part of this case, or a good chunk of this case- You think it rests like, on that? It, it, that's what it sounds like. It says, we believe, or something right. to that effect, like just based on our, our uh, outside view, you, they've already achieved this milestone of artificial general intelligence, thereby negating the deal between Microsoft and OpenAI because their deal says once OpenAI achieves right. uh, AGI, okay, they so can't I use it. I read the case differently. I, I read that, yeah. as, but I, I don't believe that the whole case rests on that. If it doesn't case, rest, but that's a huge argument. If the case rests argument. on that, there's actually a problem. Right. I think that is a component part. But it's the nonprofit of, stuff. Of, of the case. I think that the other issues are... Because otherwise, if you were a judge, you, you could rule against this case in about 10 seconds right. and say there's no AGI. Yeah. Um, but if you looked at how they did it, they separated the issues 
So that that is sort of a one of it's the uh, contract, right? I mean, it's, it's breach, it's it's breach, a, breach, it's of, breach of contract. That and, is and the, the and the contract is the founding agreement. Correct. That, that Musk, they post in there. Yeah. That Musk and Altman sat down and agreed to, and I guess the the sanctity of that contract is going to be what this whole thing is. Exactly, determined. and they have to prove. And and we know how the structure got changed. OpenAI, they would tell you the way we have it structured today. We're still a nonprofit. We just have this other division here that they call capped profit. What that really means, we've never quite understood. So that seems to be the division they're going after and saying this is effectively becoming the you know, R&D version or situation for Microsoft. The bigger question I have is whether if you're OpenAI and Microsoft, you actually want to settle this case. Because the truth is, and to me this goes to the, I, I, I'm of the view that this case is all about discovery. Yeah. This is case has almost nothing to do with anything else except. There's no money. They're not asking right. for money. And therefore, if you don't want to participate in the discovery process, just write a check. The question is, what kind of check could you write? And is there a check that you could write? I don't or think, does the richest guy in the world want a check? No, I don't, <laughs> think, he, I don't think he does. Yeah. And so then the question is sort of, how does this really play out? And then, well, then like, let's zoom back a little bit from what's happening in the case. Let's, let's talk about what's happening in Musk's X world, right? He's trying to create XAI, which is a, it's a competitor to right. OpenAI. It's, they have a chatbot called Grok. It's supposed to be unwoke or something. Fine. It hasn't taken off. He's trying to raise money. He has right. unsuccessfully been right. able to so raise money. So you're in, the, you you're in the camp of, of uh, maybe of sour Joe, grapes. That you think this is a not just sour grapes. Do you think that this is a cynical play to uh, compete yes. in a better way? That, that was my initial read. Okay. Uh, here I am, Elon Musk, the richest guy in the world, right. the hottest startup in the world. I'm going to take AI, the other side. I'm and take, I own Twitter. I'm going to take the other side of that 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 bet, which is I think that he fundamentally, at a visceral and personal level, yeah. uh, feels philosophically frustrated with what happened uh, in a way that, uh, by the way, maybe right, maybe wrong. Meaning, yeah. meaning you could, he, maybe he shouldn't feel the way he does, but he feel I, I I don't disbelieve that he feels the way he does. I'm sure he. Fe- Feelings are great. Do feelings work in a case like this or in court? Maybe he can I say think I'm they mad. Might. In this yeah. case, they might actually. Right. And and what does he? What could he possibly get out of if he, in this discovery? What is he gonna? What what advantage does he get out of that? Other than maybe nuking a competitor so his platform can get better. Well, that's the issue that I where I'm going with. Well, that. Okay. I'm not sure it's about nuking the competitor as a competitor. I think it's about nuking the company that he feels on a very personal basis that he effectively create this is sure. like this is like well he's been taking credit since it became really popular he's been taking credit for it and you're saying that you don't think he should have taken credit no no he should no he was part but of you the say founding. it in such, you say it in such a very unique way the reason yeah. I'm, I'm i'm making the point right it's literally and i and i i try to put myself in other people's shoes to sort of meet them where they are sure. right he's somebody who looks at this and says this is my baby Right. Right. I helped birth this baby. But he left, too. Well, he left under very unique circumstances. Yeah. And by the way, against uh, against the narrative or against him, you could argue that one of the reasons he left was because there's an argument. There was a period of time where he was even trying to turn OpenAI himself into a commercial right. entity. Remember, that's yeah, going to become exactly. a separate argument uh, about this. But I do think that it's a very personal issue. Uh, rather than a competitive one, I'm sure other but people will have it. It also more. feels sour. That, that too feels sour grapes ish, right? I mean, it doesn't really matter. If it, 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 look, yeah. he contributed, according to this complaint, he contributed $44 million to OpenAI between 2016 that's and not September nothing. of 2020. It's not nothing. No, that's real and money. The question yeah. comes down to does the founding agreement stand or not? Yeah. And if they violated the founding agreement, I mean, I think that's where the, the judge is. It puts would have Microsoft to go. in a really tough position. It does. If, if this 
gets unwound because Microsoft is so heavily dependent. I don't know if we have Microsoft shares on here. And by the way, on, it may not be that it gets unwound. Maybe that nothing really happens, but it becomes one of the great distractions yeah. for OpenAI, for all of the clients who are thinking, do I want to be part of this or that? Do I want to go? It's you good know, for Google. By the way, it may be good for Google. It may be good for a whole number of other uh, uh, AI companies. It yeah. could be good for even some of the stuff that Amazon's doing. Yeah, exactly. Or, or Anthropic. I mean, Anthropic. this is a time for them. But so maybe there's a partnership they work out. Could be. Thanks, thank AI. you. Yeah, thanks, Nice Chris. to see you. Cheese will be next. Coming up on Squawk Pod, New York City Mayor Eric Adams. The migrant crisis in his town, regulating social media, and the plant smelled around the Big Apple. What he can do and what he wants to do about marijuana in New York. We're seeing far too many illegal shops opening because the police department, the sheriff, do not have the local authority to immediately close down these locations. We'll be right back. Did you hear that? That's what an estimated 500 horsepower sounds like. How about that? That's a premium banging Olufsen sound system with 18 speakers and a Biosonic sound experience. And that, that's our legacy. You ready to be a part of it? Unlock the energy of the all-electric ZDX Type S. Order now at Acura.com. What's on the horizon for financial markets? At PGIM, it's a question that over 1,400 investment professionals relentlessly research in pursuit of your long-term goals. Specialized across asset classes, but united in collaboration, our teams provide global and local expertise. Our investments shape tomorrow, today. Pursue your tomorrow with PGIM, a leading global asset manager. This is Squawk Pod. Up and Andrew, Q. Good morning and welcome back to Squawk Box right here on CNBC. We're live at the Nasdaq market site in Times Square. I'm Andrew Ross Sorkin along with Becky Quick and Joe Kernan. President Biden and former President Trump separately visiting and speaking from the U.S.-Mexico border. That happened yesterday. They desperately need more resources, need more agents, more officers, more judges, more equipment in order to secure our border. Biden talked up a border security bill that's been shunned by many in the House GOP conference. Trump blaming, though, Biden for the broken state of things. The United States is being overrun by the Biden migrant crime. It's a new form of uh, vicious violation to our country. Tens of thousands of migrants that have made their way into this country have come to New York putting a strain on some of the city services. Joining us to talk about that and so much more, New York City Mayor Eric Adams. Mayor, good morning to you. Thank you for joining us. It's good great morning. to see you. Uh, let's talk about the migrant crisis. And uh, let me just ask you, frankly, who do you blame for what's happening here? Well, I think that uh, the goal is not so much uh, pointed to blame, and this blame can go around in so many different sectors, is how do we solve the problem? 177,000 migrants and asylum seekers have found their way to New York City, and I think there's a clear way of that we can solve this problem. Number one, we need a real decompression strategy to allow this to go throughout the entire country. And number two, we need to allow people to work. Uh, what is more of uh, the American dream than the right to work? You cannot uh, prevent that if we want people to take the next step in their, their journey. 
But, but tell us about the battle that's been happening between uh, the city of New York, the state of New York, and Washington. Uh, you all, plus CEOs uh, in this city, have called for federal funding uh, from the White House, and uh, that call has not been returned. Well, actually, when you look at it, a real coalition has developed. Uh, you look at uh, what's taking place in Chicago, uh, Denver, uh, Houston, Washington, D.C., uh, and other uh, local municipalities, El Paso, Texas. Uh, no city should have to uh, carry the load of the migrant asylum seeker crisis. It's a national problem. Uh, the long term is having a real immigration reform that's taking place, but immediately we need to have the proper funding uh, because right. it is impacting all of our cities at this time economically. There's a hi historical issue here, though, to talk about, which is the sanctuary city status uh, that New York has or has had, uh, something that you are now uh, trying to change. Can you speak to that? Well, we believe in the sanctuary city status of immigrants that are here should be allowed to continue to move forward in their lives. Uh, we're talking about a specific part of it that was changed under the previous administration. From the days of Mayor Koch and Mayor Bloomberg, uh, there was a clear indicator for those who commit serious crimes in the city, uh, they should be able to be deported after they serve their time. And I continue to believe that as a former police officer. Uh, we have the job of to apprehend those who commit crimes, the prosecutors prosecute, and I think the federal government should use this authority after the time is served right. to deport the individual. Dangerous people, no matter if they're migrants and asylums seekers or long-term New Yorkers, should not uh, be uh, carrying out violent acts on New Yorkers. And the overwhelming number of migrants and asylum seekers here are trying to take that next step. But there is a small number that are violent and they're dangerous. Uh, you spoke earlier about the idea of, of having these migrants work uh, in New York and, and giving them an opportunity uh, to work. Have you ever thought of just doing it on your own at this point? Uh, we would love to. Uh, trust me, I've turned over every legal stone uh, to see how we could take, go about doing it. Uh, but if we do it, uh, we could expose ourselves to violating uh, federal laws as well as the city being sanctioned. And would you believe I cannot even allow migrants to volunteer and give them a stipend? If I wanted them just to clean up and the areas where they are uh, staying, that's not allowed to do. Uh, when you think about this, uh, this strikes at the heart of who we are as a country, all of our immigrants that have come to this city, all of us in this country, we had the authorization to work and earn our rights to be here. And that's all the migrants and asylum seekers are asking for. But one of the things you are doing uh, is a, an experimental program uh, to provide debit cards with cash on the card. Uh, this has created an enormous controversy in the city among uh, some taxpayers who say, why, why are we paying and giving out this money uh, to these migrants, and isn't this only going to encourage more migrants to come to New York? And, and the reason it's, it's creating such controversy is because how it has been reported and distorted. Here's what we're doing. We are required to feed migrants and asylum seekers as well as everyone else in our homeless system. Uh, about 40,000 are in the homeless system that are not migrant and asylum seekers. We're required to feed them. And so what I told the team to do is we have to find a, a way to do it that's less costly because we're in a 30 percent decrease in the cost of the migrant uh, crisis and that we don't have food waste. We were able to do that. We're saving approximately $600,000 a, a month, $7.2 million uh, a year by giving individuals 
a card that allows them to buy food or baby supplies, spending $13 a day on food that's cheaper, that's less food waste. This is a real win-win for us. And the money will go into the local economy because now we're going to the local stores, supermarkets, where we're going to hire local. This is a smart way to bring down the cost right. and re-put, replace the money back into our city. Mayor, uh, very, a very direct and political question. When you look at President Biden, you look at former President Trump, and you look at the migrant crisis that you are facing. Well, I think which, that this, which, which one do you believe will ultimately help you solve that crisis faster? Uh, I am a supporter of the president. And I think when you do an analysis of this issue of immigration, uh, this is an issue that has been played out too long on the political stage of our country. It has to be resolved. It's one of the top issues that voters are looking at. Uh, I think that we could solve it now uh, by taking some very clear steps, such as the decompression strategy, funding these cities, allowing migrants and asylum seekers to work. We did almost 25,000 uh, with work authorization and TPS uh, um, when it was recently expanded, we can go even further to some of the other cities and municipalities. Mr. Mayor, I, I, I've seen a, a it, you know, you can imagine it's been dredged up from 2019. And, and it was uh, President Biden basically say it sounded like uh, something from the Statue of Liberty. Bring us your, your tired message. This is why we're here. If you want to come here for a better life, come here. We want you to come. Then he rescinded, what, 90 executive orders. Uh, at that time. I mean, it's clear where the 7.2 million, I, I think we can at least ascribe some uh, cause and effect to those comments and getting rid of all the executive orders. Do you think the president could reinstitute, some, put some of those executive orders with the sign of a pen back on? And would that help? Would you urge him to do that to, to uh, the, help your the, situation? The most important thing I believe we could do during this crisis is allow people to work. Uh, everyone who passed uh, through the Statue of Liberty uh, came here, and even if it was a menial job, it gave them the dignity and respect that everyone that here, here uh, deserves. Think about it for a moment. Do you know we don't even hear about the Ukrainian citizens that arrived here? We have a large Ukrainian population um, after the war that's here in New York City. You don't hear about them. You know why? They have the authorization to work. We gave them the financial support that they deserve. We did the right thing for them. We should do the same for those who are coming from South, Central America, and other parts of the globe. That consistency will resolve this issue that we're facing. Mr. Mayor, I know we only have uh, so much time, and I want to hit and talk about three other topics, uh, yes. one being EVs. I want to talk about social media, and frankly, I want to talk about weed uh, in New York City. <laughs> uh, I want to talk about the EV piece first. Uh, you just put out a job creation plan. Part of that includes EV infrastructure. And you're doing, though, that at a time, in truth, when a lot of the major car manufacturers in the U.S. are actually pulling back on some of their EV ambitions. Uh, EVs are here, electric vehicles are here, and they're going to be here. Uh, you're going to see a lot of laws shift and change to move away from fossil fuel. Uh, they're here. The problem is that if you build it, they will come. And the building is the EV charging stations. And so we have a real win-win here. If we uh, proliferate our cities with the charging stations, number one, you can employ uh, many uh, uh, 
in, individuals who know how to install them, to prepare them, to fix them, to manufacture them. It will be a real job growth in a the process. Then it's a win for our economy. We know our economy, right. our economy can take this boost and our environment, uh, we, we were moving in the wrong direction in our environment. I think that EVs are the way to go. We're going to continue to expand, faster charging. The technology is getting better and better as we continue to use it more and more. On social media, you're suing TikTok, Instagram, Snapchat, YouTube uh, over mental health. Uh, the mental health crisis you say is happening in the city and costing this city $100 million. Uh, you've sued them now. Partnership for New York says that it's the wrong approach. I, I'm curious what you think the end result of that suit uh, is supposed to be, meaning are you hoping to get dollars from them? Are you, are you hoping to change their behavior? Are you hoping to do both? Uh, I think that all of you who sit around this this discussion uh, reflect on your children. You know what's happening at home. You know how addictive these devices and social media platforms uh, they have become to our children. Increase in suicidal ideations, increase in depression. Um, our young girls no longer believe their body types are really part of their heritage and who they are. Uh, we are watching violence being proliferated. Here in New York City, you're seeing young people ride on top, top of subway trains getting 35 million views. We're seeing them steal vehicles because they're learning it on um, social media platforms. It has hijacked our babies. And what I want out of this is for our young people uh, to regain uh, what it, we all need as we do our personal development all our neurologists and scientists are talking about uh, less than 14 years old. The brains are not prepared to do this form of intaking of information and some real unfortunate information that our children are receiving. So we want them to improve, remove, and stop using algorithms that is harming our children at such an early age and to pay for the cost of some of the mental health crisis we're seeing coming out of this. This is the right thing to do, just as we did with citizens cigarette manufacturers years ago. You mentioned cigarettes. I, I want to talk about weed for a moment. Just yesterday, you had a <laughs> ribbon cutting uh, for a legal pot shop uh, that opened up uh, in Thursday, uh, owned by a, uh, a small business, a minority small business owner. I'm curious what you think of weed in the city. It feels to me, uh, as somebody who lives in this city, that every, every block you walk on, uh, you smell it everywhere. It's everywhere. Agree. Um, and... <laughs> I, I wonder just how you as the mayor feel about that and whether uh, something needs to be done about that. And, and I, I, I concur with you. Um, we had a law that was passed in Albany. Um, I thought the law had good intentions. We knew for far too long uh, that the heavy-handed approach of dealing with uh, small quantities of marijuana was really criminalizing a large population of people, particularly black and brown communities. But we cannot allow this to get out of control. And what does that look like? We're seeing far too many illegal shops opening because the police department, the sheriff, we don't, do not have the local authority to immediately close down these locations. Uh, we should make sure that this is a well-regulated legal shops that are opening. And then we have to be clear about where you can actually smoke, like we did with cigarettes. Uh, people thought it was not possible to re regulate uh, where you smoke cigarettes because 
We can't have our young children starting the day smoking marijuana, sitting inside a classroom and trying to learn. We know what this does to brain development at an early age. And so I'm concerned, but I think if we take the right steps and the right precautions, like we do with any uh, other substance, such as alcohol, um, we can but to make what, sure but what that this that does that not get out of control. What does that require the city to do? What does that require the state to do? Um, number one, in Albany right now, we have been having conversations with the governor. She introduces in, introduced it into our budget. Uh, we just need local authority to go in, do inspections. Right now, our police department cannot go in and do inspection for marijuana. We need to change that. We need to be able to go after those landlords that intentionally uh, rent or lease their locations to people who are selling illegal marijuana. Give us the authority to do so, and we'll clean this mess up. But what about the people on the corner of the street just smoking every which way? The law, the law allows you to do that. We know. No, the, I, I know that, but that yes. means that the whole city is just going to be overrun with it. Irrespect. I mean, that's part of the problem. No. I, I feel your pain, uh, but um, I left Albany many years ago. I'm no longer the state senator. I'm the mayor. You know, New Yorkers that don't want this to take place, they have to share their voices uh, in Albany about open use of marijuana. Right now, it is legal to do so. Mr. Mayor, uh, we always appreciate having you on the broadcast. <laughs> thank you. Uh, we are always rooting for New York, so thank you. Take care. Next on Squawk Pod, Apple's VR headset. It looks a little like an insect. It costs thousands. Some guy wore it at his wedding. Well, Wall Street Journal's personal tech columnist Joanna Stern has been living with the Vision Pro for a month and shares her favorite place to wear it. You will see more people wearing these on airplanes because it is a great experience up in the air. From a flat tire in the city to a dead battery on a distant drive, AAA is partnering with T-Mobile for Business to accelerate response times and get more drivers back on the road fast. Our nationwide connectivity powers location telematics, so AAA's fleet can find stranded drivers quickly while being fully equipped with the in-vehicle tools to have answers when they get there. This is elevating the member experience. This is AAA with T-Mobile for Business. Take your business further at T-Mobile.com slash now. You're listening to Squawk Pod. Here's Becky Quick. Check this out, this photo. Uh, this is a groom wearing the Apple Vision Pro at his wedding. Photo went viral. This is software engineer Jacob Wright. He wore the headset during his February 10th wedding in Utah, not during the ceremony itself, but for photos, and while dancing during the reception. His bride, Cambry Wright, told SF Gate that she wasn't mad. She thought it was funny. Um, but you have seen more and more scenes like this. It's been a month since the Vision Pro was made available to the public. Our next guest was one of the very first people to try it out. Joining us right now is Joanna Stern. She's Wall Street Journal personal technology columnist and a CNBC contributor. And Joanna, I was a little surprised by your take at the end of a month. It sounds like for you at least, the honeymoon has worn off. It has. And I, I you know, I, I guess I could have gotten remarried or renewed my vows in it, which would have been the, the real ultimate stunt. But yeah, I've been using it for now a month. And of course, when you review a product, you're using it all the time when you first get it, you want to evaluate it. And I really enjoyed using the Vision Pro at first, and I still enjoy using it. I am just reaching for it far less. For me, it is definitely not an everyday computer. And the things I thought I would be using it for, which is work, I thought I would be like every day putting this on, using this to, to, to get some of my writing done, working done. 
that's not the case. I'm actually turning to this more to to the entertainment purposes, to watch a movie, to watch a show. And I do have to say, I believe the killer app is actually flying with this on. You will see more people wearing these on airplanes because it is a great experience up in the air. Yeah, I, I loved your anecdote from that. Maybe you can talk a little bit about it because you were seated between a married couple on a flight and you were able to turn it off and basically make it look like you were on the moon. Yeah, I, I, I think, look, even if you have the best seat on an airplane, this thing is going to be great. But if you've got the worst seat on an airplane, which I happen to have had a few weeks ago when on flight, this thing was great. And that really that speaks to what this is right now, which is really a virtual reality headset. It's great for escaping those situations you may not want to be in or just taking a break. And so in the case of the airplane, yeah, I was quickly able to log on to United's Wi-Fi, quickly able to then start streaming some videos that I downloaded, some, even stream some stuff through the United app. So it, it's a good experience. But that question is, how often are you going to use this? And Really, if you think about what's happened with virtual reality and, and the hurdles they've had to going mainstream, especially those quests, this is a similar situation. People buy them, they're excited, and then they may sit in a drawer or in the corner for the majority of the time. And that is the real hurdle that Apple's up against. So, Joanna, I'm sure you saw uh, when Mark Zuckerberg effectively did his own review of, of, uh, of the Vision Pro. And he effectively made the argument that he thought that uh, his device was better uh, just on a both on a price adjusted basis. But I think he thought overall on a better with because of the weight and because of these other issues and thinks that there's a lot of stuff that uh, those devices can do that the Vision Pro can also do, but that he believes they've either marketed badly or otherwise. How do you think about that? I still think that the, Meta, the, the MetaQuest is a, a very strong product for that price point. But when you put on the Vision Pro, it is a markedly better experience in a few different areas. It is definitely heavier, and that battery pack is a pain, which is what he was really pointing out. But some of the quality issues and the way Apple has, has perfected the hand tracking is, uh, to me, superior. And it is a mar more natural experience in terms of navigating these digital interfaces. Meta does a very good job in certain areas. And I would say one area I really think Apple's gonna have to head into, and it makes natural sense for them, is working out. One of the best things Meta did was acquire Supernatural, which is this workout company, which you work out in VR. And it is the one reason I usually find myself going back to the MetaQuest. Having said that though, you're not keeping this Vision Pro. You're sending it back. You don't think it's time for you to buy one? Look, this is this was a review unit and it's going to time to go back to me. The, the big question is, will I miss it? Will I miss having that around? And will that be the reason to buy the thirty five hundred dollar headset? Look, I may end up buying it just because I should have it here and it's part of my job. But if it was just an everyday consumer, I would not be buying the headset. Joanna, uh, thank you for joining us. Good to see you. Good to see you guys. That is Squawk Pod for today for the week. It's March 2024 already. <laughs> Squawk Box is hosted by Joe Kernan, Becky Quick, and Andrew Ross Sorkin. Tune in weekday mornings on CNBC at 6 Eastern. And to get the smartest takes and analysis from our TV show right into your ears, please follow Squawk Pod wherever you get your podcasts. We'll meet you back here on Monday. Have a great weekend. We are clear. Thanks, guys. Thank you so much. 
from pit lane to podium, the Las Vegas Grand Prix is providing fans a race day experience at the speed they deserve. With the help of T-Mobile for Business, our 5G advanced network solutions are powering race day operations with event-wide connectivity. From streamlined gate entry to an immersive app, giving fans blazing fast access to the sport they love. This is accelerating innovation. This is the Las Vegas Grand Prix with T-Mobile for Business. Take your business further at T-Mobile.com slash now. 